My name is Corky, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Corky. I'd like to congratulate the people that got 27 years and a year, wherever that parole. Who got the year pin? Okay, congratulations to you guys. I've been sober all day long. And those aren't my words. Those are words of, a, of an old gentleman that used to open up a meeting like that all the time. And i got to tell you guys, I'm a boring speaker. <laughs> I was thinking that a lot of people get flown in from California up here to come and speak. I'm not in that class of speaker, you guys. I had to drive 1,200 miles and then get out and drive another 50 miles just to come out and share my story with you guys. But I am sober today by the grace of God, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I... I my problem is, is I can't remember very well what all happened in my life. I've heard a lot of people talk about when they were 6 and 7 and 10. Well, I don't remember some of that, and I don't know if it's because I blacked it out or uh, it could be because I'm self-centered and egotistical and a few other things. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of stumble through some of my stuff for you guys and... Remember this, that if you get something out of it, it's okay. But I'm out here tonight because I'm participating in my own sobriety. And I need to do this. I don't like it. I hate podiums. I never have had a microphone in front of me before. But I have done some things in life that are a lot worse than that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to when I was about 16 years old. Um... I started drinking pretty heavily, and 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 through that, um, I, I made enough money to buy a car. And within a, a short amount of time, I was drinking and driving, and I wasn't scared. And I invited a young lady in the car one time with a bunch of my friends. And in Rapid City, they have a railroad track that's kind of a up and over type of a situation, and. We used to fly over that in our cars. They called it the tickle bump. And I was, I was notorious for doing that a lot. People wanted to ride in, in the car with me when we went over the tickle bump. Well, Lori Angler was her name, and I don't remember that all the time, but the last time I went over that tickle bump, I went too fast, too high. It turned over, and before it was all over, she was dead. And I didn't stop drinking then, but uh, I don't know if it even caused me to drink more. I just know that that was one of my serious mistakes. And it was a long time before I did finally quit drinking. I've had that in a, a few four steps over the years, and it's gotten, the sharp edges are gone off of it now. I can share that. People wanted me to come down to DUI classes and share that a lot, but I just... For some reason, I couldn't do that because uh, I was embarrassed and humiliated, and and I was afraid. And still today, I have a lot of fear in my life. I do. Uh, I have a lot of anger. <clears throat> it's not as bad as what it was, but I still have a lot of anger in my life. And then, again, I, I'm not really sure what all happened, but I remember being 21 years old, and it was legal for me to drink. And I got drunk and got thrown in jail on my birthday. And I thought I was a hero. I thought that was what you were supposed to do. 
But I continued to drink after that. I know that the court system didn't like me. I know they didn't want me in town because when I finally did leave town, they were more than happy to see me gone. And I did some stuff that was illegal. You know, this this hurting somebody in a car like that was was a serious thing. And I know there's a lot more serious things in, in our drinking careers than than that. But uh, I thought that if you were ever going to have any fun, it had to be doing something illegal. You know, taking from somebody else, stealing a car, breaking into their homes. Uh, I thought that was what fun was all about. And that's how my mind was twisted to that alcoholic part of a mind that I had. So I went through life doing things like that, thinking this is good. There's probably some more stuff in there that I did, but what I remember is when I hit about 30 or 35 years old, uh, somebody called me an alcoholic, and I didn't like that. And within a matter of a couple of years, they talked me into going to a, a treatment center. Well, they talked me to a meeting first. They said, would you go to a meeting? And I said, sure, I'll go to a meeting. Well, I had to do drugs to go to the meeting. I, I, I didn't want to drink, but I happened to do some drugs because I was full of fear. I didn't know that I could do this. And, and I was running around the world thinking I was hip, slick, and cool. And I went to my first meeting loaded. And when they started around the room, I just naturally said, my name's Corky and I'm an alcoholic, really fast. And I thought I was kind of lying at the time. But as I kept on doing what I did, I figured out that I was an alcoholic. And that didn't get me stopped either. And then I was just an alcoholic in a, in a place that was real miserable. And I can't remember the years, what it was, but they finally, because of the insurance company where I worked, said, you're going to lose your job or you go to treatment. So I went to treatment the first time. And I was a nice guy there for maybe a week. Uh, when I when I hit the door, they, they gave me some whiskey to get me there. I don't remember how far it was, 100 miles or something. And, and we got within 50 miles of this thing, and I'm thinking I'm going to jump out of the car, and, and I'm going to run home. Well, the person that was hauling me down there reached under the seat and got out some warm whiskey. I love warm whiskey. Well, I drank that, and when I hit the door, I was like a spider on the door. I puked right there by the door, and it was still there when they kicked me out two or three weeks later. But I, I just thought, well, I'll try this. Uh, mostly what I did was went to the kitchen and ate ice cream. They had half gallons of ice cream, and you could eat as much ice cream as you wanted. So I just ate ice cream. And... Then we had some kind of a co-ed meeting where there was girls involved. And before this was all over, I got tied up with this little sweet thing that she had spent a whole bunch of money flying around the world in an airplane, and she picked me out of the boys in that group to take up to her room that night. And I was feeling good. Well, I ended up catching something from her that I really didn't want. <laughs> and I 
went I went to my counselor and you know because you guys told me I should start and try to be honest so I went to him and they kicked me out uh, my wife had to come down and pick me up I went back <laughs> yeah this, this sounds really bad doesn't it <laughs> anyway she got me home I stayed sober for a little while the second time I went to treatment I knew that it, something was wrong and I said I volunteered to go to treatment so I went to treatment for the second time and I remember that's the first time that I attempted to do the fourth step in this book. I sat in a bathtub trying to write stuff down. It wasn't anything close to my last fourth step, but it was writing stuff down. I was taking time, which it was hard for me to stand still, but I was writing stuff down in this fourth step. <clears throat> I made it all the way through this uh, treatment center, went back to work, got drunk again, and they said, you know what, you got to go. You know, we don't want you around here anymore. Well, they called me back. And I thought, well, this is okay. This is going to work. So then I had this kind of an open sheet thing where maybe I can get away with a whole bunch of stuff. I joined a union, and I ended up being able to get around in this packing plant in Rapid City. I could go anywhere I wanted because I was the chief steward and the thing and the maintenance crew, so I had access to everything that was going on. They let me have the check pool. And pretty soon I learned that I'd get lots of free beef if I took some dope with me. So I'd take some dope in and get these guys all wired on a bunch of drugs. And they'd give me all this free beef. That's the way my thinking was. That's, that's the way I acted. That's, that's, that was my life then. It wasn't very much nice stuff. I wasn't home for my wife. In the process of my first marriage, I think it was about 1972, but again, I'm not sure. I remember they took me outside just before I got married and, and we smoked some dope and I had already drank some whiskey, so I wasn't really in good shape to even be married. But I ended up being married. I loved my father-in-law because he drank all the time. And I don't know how long that marriage lasted. I'm going to guess 15 years. And I wasn't a good person in that marriage. You know, I, I, I cheated on my wife whenever I could get a chance. I'm the kind of a drunk that... If I if I was lucky enough to get a good friend, then I'd go hit on his wife. And again, I thought that was kind of the way things were supposed to go. Luckily, I got to do a little stock car racing in my younger days. And I really was going into it to race. I wanted to be a race car driver. But as soon as the race was over in the evening, I just got drunk, really drunk. And then I started using the racing as a way to get drunk and get into fights and, and do the wrong stuff again, right back to that comfort zone for me. I had to give that up too. I had to, because I, I just didn't, I couldn't put the time into the car anymore because it was getting in the way of my drinking. I divorced my wife. I hung around in that town for a little while trying to, whatever unmarried people do, but I just drank most of the time. And I would go to the bar to try to pick up girls. I thought that was the whole world, was girls. I had two kids in that marriage, and they're both back in my life today. It took a, a, a quite a few years before they did come back in my life, and you guys told me that 
you know, in this promises part of this thing that our lives would come back together. Both of my daughters are back in my life today. Both of my daughters have brought me grandchildren, which is pretty cool. Uh, one of my one of my grandchildren is going to be 19 years old. He's going to be a police officer in the town where I was a jackass. <laughs> so he probably has already looked me up and knows what's going on. But I'm I'm very proud of him. I think that's pretty neat that to go from from what I was to to being a police officer is, is quite a step. The little girls that are in my life with my youngest daughter, five and six years old, I love them to pieces but I don't know how to be a grandfather. I didn't know how to be a husband. And I didn't know how to be a father. And now I don't know how to be a grandfather. But you guys taught me that kind of face my fears and, and take it on. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm trying. I can't remember their names because self-centered still. Uh, I can't remember to call them on their birthdays. I write it down, but it doesn't get done very often. But compared to what I used to do to my kids, I think I'm a pretty nice person these days. And it's because I did what you guys told me to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, you told me to come to meetings. You told me to be quiet. You told me not to talk more than five minutes. I hated that. I challenged you every chance I got. I talk as long as I could. I'm the kind of person that believes that whatever a person brings to the table, that's all he's got that day. That's what he wants to talk about. You guys taught me that that after I get sobered up, I'm supposed to take on life on life's terms. And life on life's terms is kind of different for me. Because I, I share this a lot anymore because it makes a lot of sense for me. And that's, you take an alcoholic and you take away the alcohol and you got ick. You take alcoholism and you take away the alcohol and you got ism. And I'm running around with ichonism trying to figure out why this ain't working for me. I'm doing something wrong. For some reason I did enough right that I started putting together some years. And I'm the kind of alcoholic that I traded a 24-year chip in for a 24-hour chip. Because I wasn't listening to you guys anymore. I didn't read the part in this book that says cunning, baffling, and powerful. You guys told me it was waiting out there, waiting for me in the parking lot. I went out there to wrestle with it again. I thought I could whip it. I couldn't. It didn't take me long at all. I went right back into AA after that. People around the tables like this were crying about me. They were crying. That was That's hard. But then I went into a depression for two years because the only thing that Corky's did in his whole life, and I'm 65 years old today, the only thing I did for me, just for me, was to stay sober. And I blew that. And it hurt. But you guys also taught me that you don't shoot your wounded. And I'm welcome to come back in here. And I did. I came back. And I didn't do so good for a long time. In this process of this, again, because my mind doesn't work real good, 
I thought I could get married again and do better. I kind of had a God, and I said, okay, God, give me one more lady. Put one more person in my life. I want her to not smoke, and I want her to not drink. Well, he answered that prayer, but I should have said something about attitude because uh, it was an ugly, ugly thing for me. Now, to show you what kind of a person I am, even sober, because I quit going to meetings. I quit talking to you people. I quit sharing at meetings. I alienated. I got away from you people. Before long, I got mad. I got angry. And you guys told me anger is a bad thing for me. I knew that there was fear behind that anger because you guys taught me that. I still got angry. And within moments, I'm getting drunk. Now this was after, I don't know how long again, I don't keep track of time. This was after me and that woman, I think we were married a couple years maybe. And I think I was married eight years before I left. But within just a short time after getting married, I was sober. She slammed my fingers in a door, in a bathroom door. She just body slammed it and slammed all my fingers in the door. Remember I said I'm an angry person. I really got angry. And this is what qualifies for me for this program because I'm this kind of person. I grabbed her around the throat and, and I pert near broke her neck. Now, I believe today that my higher power has been working in my life even when I was drinking. I believe he was there. I just took my self-will and ran around with it and <coughs> did what I wanted to do. Before this is gone and all over with and done, i got some charges that people 65 years old shouldn't have on them. They don't bother me a whole bunch. There are some little parts of them that are kind of a problem. But before it's all done... I climbed in my pickup in Phoenix, Arizona about two years and four months ago and left a good-paying job, left a business that I was, uh, was the owner of, making lots of money. I climbed in my pickup when I drove all the way to Leeds, South Dakota. By the way, my home group is the Deadwood Group in Leeds, South Dakota. You're welcome up there any time. Uh, come in the summertime, folks. It's a lot nicer. But I got up to this place in Leed. I was sober. I was angry, and I was sober, and I was scared, and I didn't know what to do. The first thing I started looking for was an AA meeting, and I found one. I made some commitments to this AA meeting, and this is the part of this, what happened for me is I started going to meetings long enough that I wanted to get a sponsor. You guys told me what to do with the sponsor, but I didn't believe you. You know, Just because you were smiling didn't mean you had a good sponsor going. But I thought, I'm going to try this again. And I had some sponsors. I just burned them up, lied to them. I found myself a brand new sponsor that I didn't know very well. I just knew he had a little bit of sobriety. But you guys, I wanted to be sober. I didn't want to do some of the stuff that I had just done, so I had to leave town. I'm in a little town of just a few thousand people. Everybody kind of knew everybody. 
the police told me after I got to know some of the officers that they really knew what I was like a couple hours after I was in town because that's their job is to check people out new. I started going to AA meetings. I told the sponsor that, you know what, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and do what you tell me to do. He gave me this little piece of paper. It's in here someplace. But I guess rustling pages kind of gets noisy on the microphone. But it, what it was was a toolbox is what he called it. You know, and it started go to meetings and share, get a sponsor, and goes all the way down. And then at the bottom it says RFTB. And I'm going to leave that one for you guys because it doesn't need to go on the microphone. <laughs> if you want to know what it means after the meeting, I will tell you. But my sponsor told me this, and I thought, there. Now maybe we got a hookup. He kind of understands me a little bit. He knew I was angry. And he started me down through the steps, and I was serious about it. I knew that my life was unmanageable because of the booze in my life. And I really wasn't tied up with the God very well. But for some reason, that geographic move up to that place opened my mind up to where I wanted a higher power in my life. I wanted a God. And I, and I started praying for this kind of stuff, you know. I got on my knees, you guys, and I prayed on my knees. I don't know if that's the right way to pray or not, but that's the way I was doing it. You guys have taught me that my relationship with my God is a a very personal thing. And I try to stay with the spiritual part of this thing in this book. That's what I try to do. I don't want I don't want to end up being like some of the preachers I've heard in here. Uh and it's okay because you know they're sober and they got a good thing going on. When we got to my fourth step, I'm not sure how long it took. I want to say two or three months, but that might be bragging. I don't know, maybe it took three or four days or two or three minutes. I don't know. But my poor sponsor was working with me full of anger. I was mad. I was mad enough that I was going to come back to Phoenix, Arizona and do some real serious thing to this woman. And he knew that. And he came to my house, and there's 20 steps down, he parked downstairs, he can't walk up, and he said, come on, get in the car. So I come outside, I got in the car, we went over to his house, we sat in the rain, and we talked. He talked. I just stood and steamed. I was mad. And an hour and a half or so later, I said, how, how did you know what to do? Because I'd finally come back to earth. And he told me he was into some kind of anger management um, suicide watch stuff and he said it kind of looked like I was in a bad spot so I thank him for that I still thank him for that he isn't my sponsor anymore he moved out of town I got another new sponsor and this new sponsor probably isn't as good a sponsor but I haven't had too much time to spend with him and for those two years or so that I was up there I didn't want to sponsor anybody I didn't feel like I was up to it I just felt bad. And because of some people in my life, I started thinking about that and decided that I would sponsor. But before that, I was asked to speak like this. Share my story. Whatever it is, however it comes out, it's my story. And I did that, and it felt kind of good, you guys. Just like you guys told me it would. It made me feel better. I started feeling the wholeness of this program, all the steps, you know. And then 
when I finally decided to sponsor somebody, lo and behold, I get a person that wants to try and do this marijuana maintenance thing. And you guys, I'm going to hang on to this person if I can. I'm hoping that he'll see that he can't smoke dope and stay sober. But I'm going to do it because it helps me. And again, that's why I'm doing this stuff in this program. The the steps that we have are to help me. The traditions we have are to help the group stay together. There's another group up there that's part of my recovery, and I don't even know what they're called, Spearfish something or other group. I really pay close attention, you know. <clears throat> These people, on the birthday nights, they suit up. I mean, they put suit coats on and they tie ties, <laughs> leather shoes, and they go to meetings. And they tell you, don't, you know, you can get a cup of coffee, but don't drink coffee during the meeting when somebody speaks. And take off your hat. And I thought, boy, I'm going to crash this party. So I went over there to do this because, see, I still got this, this little bad thing in me, I guess what it's called. You know, got to steal somebody's plate, you know. Uh, I went over there to crash their party. And when I hit the door, there was four people lined up on each side, or maybe more, I don't know. It was all there. It was kind of a gauntlet. You walked through and they shook your hand, you know, back and forth like this. And here I am mad at this group, and they're shaking my hand. They're trying to love me until I can love myself. And before it's all over, folks, <laughs> I came down here and went to the Goodwill and some of the cheapy stores because I'm kind of tight. But I bought me a couple of sports coats and some shirts and some ties. And I'm going to put them on and I'm going to go there. And I'm not going to go there because I'm hip slick and cool. I'm going to go there because there's sobriety in that group. I'm going to go there because when people ask me about that group, I tell them that I like it now. I'm not mad at them because they have uh, discipline and they have structure in their thing. And they have a lot of people. They've been sober a long time. And one of the things is they get up and they announce what their name is and then they announce their sobriety date. And my sobriety date is uh, July 17th of 2011. Maybe that'll be my last start. I'm hoping so. If I listen to you people and do what you tell me to do, my chances of staying sober are okay. But because of what I went through, I try not to count anymore. I pick up my chip and I pass it around. But most of the time, I carry a 24-hour chip. Because you guys told me that's what this program's all about, just staying sober today, doing what I need to do today, and maybe I'll be okay tomorrow but right now, i got to do what i got to do. Well, through all this searching and digging around, finding a higher power, it says in here that we understand. And I hear a lot of people that say that they don't understand. I feel fortunate because I do believe I understand my higher power. I think he loves me no matter what I do. Even when I was out there doing all the bad stuff, he was hanging on to me. And I believe that if I keep in touch with him and maybe 
not ask him for things, but thank him and accept the blessings that he puts on me. Stand sober one more day. This is a blessing for me to come out here and speak, you guys. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But I'm doing it for the reason that I told you. I'm kind of responsible for me and my sobriety. And you guys told me I'm responsible for my happiness. And then you guys told me <coughs> I can change my attitude just like I can decide to get drunk every day when I wake up. And then you guys told me that the steps weren't just written to do them one time. I can do them every day. And I don't have to work through them the way they are, but if I get into a situation and I start thinking about a step, I can go work on that step. You guys taught me that the, the last three are kind of a maintenance type of a step. And I try to stick with those a lot of times. But a lot of times i got to go back to the first step and admit to me, just to me, I don't care if you guys know or not, I'm drunk, I'm an alcoholic. I think alcoholically still. I still have an alcoholic mind that's sobered. And that's all i got going for me. The echinism's pretty much gone. Some of the anger is pretty much gone. I, I remember sharing in a meeting just a few days ago that I wasn't angry. I didn't have any resentments. And I thought, shouldn't have said that, because that was a setup for one. But I said it because that's the way I was feeling. And you guys taught me these things. You guys taught me that if I do what I'm supposed to do, the anger can go away, the resentments can go away. That ain't how it started out. You guys got me in these meetings, you huddled around me, and you said, really need to get rid of all your anger and resentments. Some of you can maybe relate to that, but that's all I was. That's all I was. I was an angry, resentful person. And if you took that away, there wasn't nothing me at all. But I turned that around because you guys told me that too. You said, I have to kill that old Corky. He has to go away. And along with him goes that anger and resentment. I didn't know that for a long time. And I, I, sometimes I wake up and, and I don't do that. I have to be reminded either by you people, by a meeting, or by my friends in Alcoholics Anonymous, that there's, there's a different way of doing things. You guys taught me to do the next right thing. And that feels good. You guys taught me happy, joyous, and free. And I thought, well, don't make much sense, but it sounds good. So I started listening to people. And you guys told me that happiness was a happening. That something happens. And it makes you kind of smile. And they said, joy is something that comes out of your heart. Joy is something that comes from inside of me where my higher power kind of hangs out once in a while. No, he's there all the time. I don't let him out all the time. But it's when I do something good for somebody. And you guys talk about that. Do something good for somebody and don't get caught. And that's where the joy comes from for me. That's where I get the joy out of this program. So you guys haven't been lying to me, or I hope you haven't been lying, because I'm going to be mad <laughs> if I find out. But for me to be sober today in Tonopah, Arizona, and 2014 is a miracle. And that ain't no big deal for most people, but it is for me. Because there's a lot of alcoholics that die out there. We do stuff like what I did, and they die. They drink themselves to death. They get 
diseases of the liver that they're going to die. They get brain problems. I've heard a lot of stories about alcoholics getting into the the hospital and finding out that they're they're allergic to alcohol by putting booze on their arm and it turns red. I, I don't think I was... I, I never, never did do that. But I believe that they did because you guys taught me to trust you guys. So I kind of, whatever you say to me, I kind of take right off the top and say, okay, I believe that. And if you prove me wrong, then i got to have the courage you guys talk about in that serenity prayer and say, you're full of bull. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. But again, I learned from you people that I get closer to the people in Alcoholics Anonymous faster and closer than I do to my own family. Because we sit around these rooms and we share stuff with each other. We go to coffee afterwards and we share stuff. You know, I used to call them the liars meetings because that's what I did. After the meeting, then I could turn loose with that. Didn't have to be completely honest. And I'd go lie and do whatever I had to do. I've evolved out of that. Sometimes I even go to them things and don't have to be the main attraction talking all the time. I can sit quietly. Sometimes I can sit real still. I never thought that would ever happen in my life. Sometimes I can lay down and try to meditate. And I'm not good at that, but I know that if I start praying, the meditation gets easier for me. And prayer and meditation is in our steps on the end there. Why wouldn't I want to do that all the time? Because you guys have already proven to myself that it makes me feel better. All of this stuff makes me feel better, happier. I came in here looking for happy stuff, stuff that would make me feel good. And it wasn't like it was when I was out there. So that's some of the stuff that happened. And what it's like today is that I can go to an AA meeting and start whining and moaning about stuff because I'm habituated to do that. I don't know how to tell you guys, I really had a really good day without feeling like I'm lying, without feeling that phony. But I do have good days, a lot more good days than I thought. But I have to look for that yuck in them. So on my own, this is a thought that I had in my head. I probably heard it from a drunk, but I feel it's my own thought. Is that when I go to meetings, try consciously to talk about positive stuff, not the negative stuff. It's hard to do when you're speaking because you got to let people know what you did to qualify. You know, I feel like I qualified for this program. You haven't asked me to leave yet. And if you do, there's going to be a fight on your hands. But you guys have taught me so many things. Big words, you guys. Big words. But I know what they mean now. Resentment's one. Forgiveness is another one. Forgiveness. There's a lady in, in, in the group over there in Avondale that taught me a year or so ago about forgiveness. This is the maximum forgiveness that I could imagine. This is something that I wouldn't even think about or wouldn't have thought about until now. Somebody beat her husband to death right in front of her. And this lady went to the prison and forgave that man. Now that's getting pretty close to the man on the cross as far as I'm concerned. 
that's getting pretty close that you could do something like that. And the guy that did it's probably in prison, doing bad stuff in prison. I don't want to go to prison, you guys. I've spent enough time in jail that I don't want to go to prison. But I've been in jail a few times sober. And it wasn't so bad. It was stuff that I did wrong. I was wrong. You know, I'm still a bad outlaw, you guys. Sometimes I don't buckle my seatbelt. <laughs> and you can get in a lot of trouble for that. But because of this program and you people, those are the little things that I worry about today. Buckling up my seatbelt. I've had the honor and the privilege, you guys, to be a driver for some lady. There's a whole bunch of kids that are mentally challenged. I get to drive them kids around. Now all I got to do is close my eyes for an instant at a stoplight and think that this is the person that drove the car that killed a girl years ago. I guess that's a change. I guess that's a change for the better. It's because of you people. You know, you guys don't mean a whole lot to me right here in this group. I don't know all of you. You taught me I love all of you. Don't have to like all of you. But you guys are here to stay sober just like me. You guys had to pay money. You know, put some gas in your car to come over here to, to listen to me. And, geez, I sure hope it was worth a couple bucks. <laughs> because, I, like I said, I, I, the speaking that I do is confusing to people. And it don't matter. That's the kind of alcoholic that I am. I'm the kind of person that when I wake up in the morning, I try to have that conscious thought. You know, that what are you going to do today? You know, and then it's prayer. Thanks, God, for waking me up. I'm breathing again. Getting old enough, that can change real quick. But then I have to make that conscious decision not to drink. Or to start thinking about drinking, because that'll get me to drinking. So I make that conscious decision. There's a little prayer in here that talks about that, and I was going to read it, but I'm not going to now. I'll give you the gist of this thing, but it's something to the fact that, God, here I am. I haven't hurt anybody. haven't did anything wrong. haven't caused any hate and discontent in the world. Not a menace to society. But in about a minute, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. And I'm going to need your help from then on. And it feels good not to be a menace to society. You guys helped me to get that. You know, I can see the red lights coming up in the back of my thing and don't panic anymore. You know, I don't run or look for a place to dive out of because of you guys. And that's hope for me, that it's going to get better and better all the time. The whole part of this program is that I hope for me that I can stay in the place in the positive side of this thing and that includes going to meetings and listening to you guys showing up, maybe with a suit on sometime, most of the time not. This is my dress up here. This is about as good as I get most of the time. But I'm going to hope that someday I'm going to be real happy to put on a whole suit and go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and say, my name's Cork and I'm an alcoholic. And think about the first couple of days when I went to meetings, what I was wearing, what I looked like. And there's quite a change in me. 
And I again, I'm, I'm honored that anybody even wants to listen to me. You know, nobody listened to me before. I didn't take time to talk to anybody. I was alienating myself when I was out there drinking, because then I could take care of myself. But again, I'm running on fear. I have a little fear here of this microphone and some of you people tonight, but it's nothing like what it was. I'm okay with it. I can face the microphone. I can face you people. The bad thing for me is that I don't remember anybody's name. You know, I don't know if it's dementia or just that self-centered, egotistical <laughs> stuff going on in me. And I learned a brand new word from you guys. It's called narcissistic. <laughs> I haven't learned how to spell it yet, but I got an idea what it means. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be those kind of people. I want to be that happy, joyous, and free. I don't want to be hip, slick, and cool. I want to be free of the bottle. I want to be free of jails. I want to have the freedom that I heard in a song one time. You gave me the freedom to leave, but then you gave me the freedom to stay. And that's a good feeling for me. I don't have to fix anybody these days. I don't have to fix my kids. Uh, I'd like to fix my very first ex-wife because she's still mad at me. I went running at her about 17 years after sobriety. Tried to make amends and she told me where to go and when to get off. And I thought, well, I'll give that another 17 years and try it again. <laughs> but back to the what I have today in this program is a comfort zone, a good place comfortable place. You know, when I first came in here, seeing this guy and he started talking and stuff, I thought, oh no, this is going to be crazy. And I listened to him. And you know what? My power put him right beside me, so I got to know him a little better. Then he stuck the microphone up here. You know? And I feel good about that today. And I got it because I stayed sober today for one thing. I did the right thing today for another thing. I asked my higher power for the His will not mine, to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And he throws in all these little benefits all the time. You know, he throws people in my life, friends that I don't know, friends that I might get to know. So it's a long ways out to Tony Paul, but that's okay. You know, I'm one of them people that I drive across country to get a drink. And now today I got friends that come down from way up north, come to our house and sit around our houses with us and eat with us, breaking bread. And that's a neat thing. And I also have a lady in my life that well I didn't ask God for this one. He just put her there. And she's just about the most wonderful person that I could ever imagine. And you know what, guys? She don't smoke, she's sober. Got an excellent personality. And she's the kind of partner in my life that can help me stay sober and I won't throw rocks at her. When she tells me things, I listen to her. She means a lot to me. She's important in my life. My biggest fear there, because I still have fear, is that because of my past that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sabotage this thing. You know, and I can sabotage real subtly. So I have to watch for those things all the time. All those little subtle changes. 
so that I can I can accept some pretty neat stuff. You know, it talks about it in our book that God don't make junk, that acceptance thing. You know, I always thought that was me. I didn't know it was you guys. I didn't know you guys were going to be angels in my life. And some of you are pretty ugly angels. Some of you are pretty mean <laughs> angels. And some of you got wings just like mine. They're kind of singed on the edges and they're smoking just a little bit because <laughs> the place is up in. But you guys are all angels and I've learned this program through you. Whether you like it or not, my higher power speaks through you people. It tells me what I'm supposed to be doing to stay sober and to be happy and have a good life. Go to meetings in Tonopah, Arizona. Sit down and eat. I'll tell you right now, I was just about sick this afternoon. I just about sick. I don't know why I worry because I'm scared, but I was just about sick. Sitting in here looking at your faces and talking to you guys, I feel a lot better. So not only did I get to stay sober today, but I got to feel better health-wise. That's a pretty neat thing. And most of the stuff that I share in meetings is from other people, you know. Old drunks say a lot of neat stuff, you know. Neat things like, God's a perfect gentleman, and he only goes where he's invited. Wow, that's pretty neat. Accept you guys, no matter how you come. No matter what you are, accept you. I can always beat it up later if I need to, but accept it right off the bat just because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be training myself to do the next right thing immediately. Forgiveness is one of them, you know. I didn't think about forgiveness most of my life. And my sister is up in Seattle, and she thinks it's really neat that I'm back in this program because I've been a black sheep, but she thinks it's even neater yet that that I have higher power right here. That Holy Spirit's in my heart. She gets a kick out of that and she cries. And <laughs> she got mad at me because she got into trouble with somebody and she started to forgive this person. She says, well, maybe next week I'll work on it. And out of the top of my head, you guys told me intuitive thoughts would come. I said, hey, sis, I think God waits two weeks to start forgiving we got close. Me and my sister are close. I love her a lot more when she's 1,200 miles away. <laughs> but my sister and I are close, and nobody's going to hurt my sister. Nobody's going to hurt the children that are in my life. Nobody's going to hurt your children if I'm there to do something about it. I'm just that kind of a person. I don't know what I'll do. I just know that I'm capable of doing some really ugly stuff. And I know that I am still just a little bit illegal, you guys. Not just the seatbelt thing. And I'll share some other stuff with you right now because this is what I'm here for. I'm, I'm supposed to be honest to you people. I got felony charges. I got a violent crime. I got some kind of pending fit, uh, criminal charge against me. And I'm still the kind of person that I'm so scared that I still got to have a gun in my house. And I'm the kind of person that took guns to meetings. I took them to meetings long enough that Finally, one day I bent over and one fell out in, in a churchyard at an AA meeting. It embarrassed me enough that I didn't carry that gun into that meeting anymore, but 
That's where I'm at, and that's just a little bit I'm going to share. There's probably some more there, but I'm not going to let you guys know all of it. That's what my sponsor's for. <laughs> uh, I'll let him deal with it, whatever he's got to do. My sponsor today is in that group of Alcoholics Anonymous that puts on the suit. He's there. That's more change for me. So I want to thank you guys for letting me share. Um, I think they've got to read the promises yet, so... Um, I think it's really neat that you guys in Tonopah have a meeting out here way out in the country. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's why, I don't know, living on a reservation type of thing. There's nothing to do with getting drunk, but I'm sure glad you're sober and I'm glad you was here because, believe it or not, you guys broke me back into speaking again, you know? And I'll, and I'll try and keep my speaking kind of not the same, you know, so that... When I'm speaking again, I can share some more of the stuff that comes back in my life. And there's another thing that a lady friend of mine always says that I remember well. She says, God loves you, so do I. There ain't a dang thing you can do about it. <laughs> Thank you, folks.